Welcome to Calvary Chapel Sebastian Podcast. We hope that you're blessed by this message. Okay, so why don't you get your Bibles out? We are in Genesis, Genesis chapter 22. Genesis 22. Y'all are quiet tonight. Y'all all right? Okay. Is there something on my shirt? Or? All right. Tired, huh? All right. I'll try to be, I'll try to be entertaining. <laughs> I'll try to keep you awake. But um, we're going to be in chapter 22. I want to welcome everybody listening to us online on our website and our podcast. Welcome. Glad you're tuning in. And uh, we are in Genesis 22. I always like to do a recap from last week in case you missed it. Don't forget, you can always go on and track the uh, uh, last teaching last Wednesday if you missed it here or send it to a friend or whatever. But um, we learned last week that even though we are continually growing spiritually, we need to be very careful that we do not regress back into our own sin nature. You remember that, church, those of you who were here? And so it's super important that we don't go back. We, it's okay to look back every now and then at our past, our sins, and say, hey, that, that's who I was before Christ. Maybe it's a reminder where we came from if we think we're just getting too haughty and, you know, and super religious on people and we don't have grace. But it's good to look back where God took us from, rescued us from, pulled us out of the clay from, and set us, wiped us off, sanctified us, saved us, and began this walk that we are now in. And so it's okay to do that. But we don't want to keep looking at our past so that the attractions of our, our sin. Remember we talked about what sin really is. It's very pleasurable and all that. But we don't want to look back and get drawn back into the past things that God res- rescued us out of. So that's really, really important. And uh, so that was a huge takeaway. Now, before we start... Uh, chapter 22, I just kind of want to do a recap because a lot's happening and we're skipping chapter 21. But we know that, we know that, would you agree with me that Abraham had a lot of problems? We're experiencing all his struggles and decisions, bad decisions, poor decisions, um, some crazy decisions uh, that he's made, to be honest. Uh, But he, he struggled with that. And one of the problems that he had, remember God said, we're going to give you a child. He says, I promise you a child. So one of the problems was that they were just getting old, kind of like me and you, right? We're just getting old. Every day that goes by, we're a day older. But he's right now at this time, he's old. His wife, Sarah's old. But they knew that God promised them a a son. And they didn't really understand how that was going to happen at their old age. But the promise of this son, through this son that was promised uh, to them, this son would be, would be a nation, and it would, this nation would bless the rest of the entire world. And that was the promise that God had given Abraham. And we know that he made a mistake, didn't he? He, he, uh, he actually fathered uh, a son. His name was Ishmael, the first son that was born, inappropriately through a handmaid, uh, their handmaid, Hagar, Hagar and, and not his wife, okay? And so when this happened, Abraham was 86 years old when his first son Ishmael was born uh, by Hagar and him. And so the mistake that 
Abraham made really came from, we didn't cover this previously, it was, really came from uh, the pagan Babylon uh, influence and the laws that they had. See, the pagan practice was if the wife was barren, then what normally would happen is if the wife couldn't have any children, then she would hand over her handmaid to the husband and, and then the handmaid would sleep with the husband and then have a child. And so this is what the Babylon practice was, and they were in that region, so they just kind of absorbed it and they made those decisions. And so the pro- here's the problem, though. When God promised Abraham this child, Abraham got impatient, we know that, and, and the mistake was is that Abraham tried to help God. Do I have any people here that want to help God? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, good luck with that. It's, it doesn't always work out. And so this is what Abraham was doing. He was trying to help God, and he got ahead of God. And, and uh, it's interesting, though, that when he had this first son, uh, it was interesting that a number of years Abraham believed that Ishmael was indeed the promised son that God was talking about. And, and, when, and so God said, uh, no, Abraham, that is not the case. I have it up on the screen, Genesis 15, 4. You remember this encounter. God said, then the word of the Lord came to him. The man Ishmael, referring to Abraham's son, will not be your heir, but a son who is what? Your own flesh. And blood will be your heir. So when he says your own flesh, yes, Abraham was a father, but he meant you and Sarah. Remember, he promised Sarah the same thing that he promised Abraham. And so though Ishmael was not the son that would receive this nation that God was promising, this covenant that God was promising, God was not against him. You know, it wasn't his fault how he was made, right? Some of us are in that situation. We, we kind of, we, you know, some are adopted. We've had uh, dysfunctional backgrounds, whatever. And we, we had no choice. It's what, it's what happened to us. But it also becomes a part of us. And God's not going to find fault in this son. It wasn't his fault what happened. In fact, God blessed him. And, and so even the descendants of Ishmael became a great nation, and they are known as the Arabic people. And so God didn't punish the son for his father's sins. He actually took grace upon him. Now, we fast forward, stay with me, 14 years now, which leads us to chapter 21. Chapter 21. And I only want to bring out probably one verse, uh, and, and it's going to be in verse 2. Abraham is now about 100 years old in chapter 21. And it says here in verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham, and his name was what? Isaac. And so now this is the second son that was born. Now Sarah finally became pregnant and gave birth to the promise that God made with Sarah and Abraham, by the way, 25 years before. They had made, he had made that promise them 25 years before. They'd been waiting 25 years for this promise to finally come to fruition. And so now we find Abraham where he has two sons, doesn't he? 
He's got two. And there's an interesting passage in Galatians that sums up Abraham's two sons. It's up on the screen. It's found in Galatians chapter 4, verse 22 and 23. I think this is uh, something that uh, Paul was saying. But it says, For it is written that Abraham had two sons, the one by a bondwoman and the other by a free woman. Who was a free woman, church? Sarah. All right, you're still with me. But he who was of the bondwoman was born according to the what? To the flesh. And he of the free woman was born through the promise. And so we see this, de- this defining difference between the sons. That's going to be important when we get into 22. Here's what you did in the flesh, Abraham, right? This was your plan, not mine. And this was the result. Here's what happened when I delivered my promise, right? And we're going to see the language of God to Abraham in this next chapter that defines a huge difference. Now, the great nugget of wisdom uh, for us tonight that we need to be careful is found right there. It's, it's found in this precept that we, we can't make things happen on our own. And I know sometimes we try, I try to make things happen on my own. Um, I'm coming up on my seventh year down here. I was eight years in the Melbourne campus, seven years down here. And man, when I came down here, I hit the ground running. And I was like, we're going to make changes. We're going to get out of this high school. How many of you were with me in the high school? Raise your hand. God bless you. You were in set up and tear down, weren't you? Aren't you glad we don't have set up and tear down anymore? You're my people. <laughs> You, you kept my job, let me tell you. And I appreciate that. But you remember those days, I'm talking to those that were there helping us set up. It was like, when, God, when will we get out of this high school? You remember that? How about Wednesday nights? Anybody help set? Yeah, where's Keith? Yeah, yeah, get there early. We were scrubbing ketchup and gum and off the, off the cafeteria floor and rolling out all the tables and chairs, and it was a lot of work. And then we kind of got creative and put screens and lights and sound, and it was just a lot of work. And I'll be honest with you, I was trying to do things on my own. I, I, was, I was spending more time arguing and wrestling with God that he would land us in a church, a building, an actual building that we didn't have to take our flags down after the three hours on a Sunday so that the community would know that we're here. And it's pretty funny because when we get here, when we first got into this building, a lot of people would come in and go, oh, you're Calvary Chapel. I'm so glad you're here. How, you know, how long have you been here? And I said, 12 years. 12 years, right, Danny? Danny, you were with us. What another story. I'll save that for another sermon. But it was, it was hard, and I wanted to get ahead of God. And I remember wrestling, and I remember the conversations I'd be having with the elders and Pastor Mark and the other pastors, and it was, I was exhausted. And I think this is a good lesson for all of us. We cannot make things happen in our own strength, our own flesh, and our own timing as if we're helping God out. You know, if God wanted to move us that first year I was here out of that high school, do you think he'd do it? He was teaching me a lesson. It was a test. It was a test. Anybody like tests? Maybe you like tests, but do you like God's test? <laughs> yeah, God's tests are hard to pass sometimes, aren't they? 
I failed a few of his tests of my own. I've got a couple A's, but not many to boast about. But God doesn't need our help. And I think the key nugget here tonight that I'd like us to take away is that when we wait on God and his timing, then we will inherit his promises. And if we do that, there's blessings and peace when we let God, hear me, when we let God be God in our lives. Let God be God in your life tonight. Don't wrestle with him. Let just trust him. And this is what we're going to see. So I've asked you to turn to chapter 22. And hopefully you got, your, you got yourself there. And I've titled this teaching, get this, Bigger Test, Bigger Faith, Bigger Love. Bigger Test, Bigger Faith, Bigger Love. And so we're going to start out in verse 1. Let's read it together. Sometime later God tested, there it is, he tested Abraham. And he said to Abraham, here I am. He replied, and then God said, take your son, your only son. So that's the first reference that we know what son he's talking about, the one he promised. It's not that he doesn't have another son, but God's saying, the one I promised you is the one I'm going to walk you through, the, the plans that I have. He says, take your only son, whom you love as if he didn't love his other son. And, and he says, whom you love... Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Now, the interesting statement that God makes to Abraham, take your only son, the one whom you love, God really reveals to us the true condition of Abraham's heart for the son that finally came. Now, I see a lot of parents in the room. Do you have favorite kids? No. Oh, you're in church, you can't lie. (laughs) depends on what they do right you know maybe you're grew up in a family uh uh, some days (laughs) some days i have favorite kids uh maybe you grew up in a family of many kids and you, you ever get into those conversations when you don't think the parents are listening you go i'm mom and dad's favorite you know usually it's a kid that gets in trouble all the time and gets the most attention have you figured that out yet it's the quiet angels that really don't get your attention. And the kids are watching, they know. So if your kids are acting up, parents, it's because you pay attention to the kids that are acting up. I've experienced that firsthand. But we see here that God truly is, I think, revealing Abraham's heart because he waited so long for this child. He was special and, and, and had God's stamp and thumbprint on him when he was born. And Isaac meant everything to Abraham. And so verse 2, God says, take your son to Mount Moriah. Now, at the end of chapter 21, if you're kind of toggling back and forth, if you look at verse 31 and 33 of chapter 21, it reveals to us that that at this moment now, uh, Abraham and Sarah are now geographically living in the Beersheba Uh, region. So I have it up on the screen. There's a map there. There's Beersheba right here. And you probably remember up here that Dead Sea goes down. And this is where those mountains were in in Hebron and the mountains where we kind of see Abraham kind of hanging out in this area. But he's saying, uh, you're going to take a three-day journey. And that's where he is. And that's that three-day journey. You see that Mount Moriah? You see what's next to that? What's that town called? 
Jerusalem. That's very important for this story. So you see this three-day journey, and, and it takes about, it's from town to town, it's probably about 45 miles. It takes three days to travel where God instructed them to go. And so he, uh, he has three days to think about what God is going to assign him to, this test that is coming that the Lord gives him. Well, what were these instructions that the Lord gave him? Look at the rest of verse 2. Here's what he says to do. Sacrifice Isaac there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Church, I'll put it into simple forms. You're going to take your son up to the mountain and kill him. That's what he's saying to Abraham. Now, can you imagine that? You waited 25 years for the promise, and now God says, now you're going to sacrifice him unto me. Can you imagine what that must have been like? Do you think it brought about some confusion in Abraham? I I think so. Have you ever been confused by God when you're going through that test, that trial? You're doing everything right. You're honoring the Lord. You're examining your heart, right? You come before the Lord and you go, Lord, I don't understand this test. I don't understand what you're doing. This is impossible. Why would you allow this to happen in my life? You ever been there? I think we all have if we're honest with each other. This is this test where God says, Abraham, I'm going to do something. I'm going to change you through this extraordinary test. And it's not going to be what it's going to be. Now, Abraham doesn't know that yet. You know that. You've probably read the story. But imagine, put yourself into the shoes of Abraham. Now, I want to point out something here. In the Old Testament, there were many different types of offerings that the Lord required of the people of Israel. And and I'll name a few. It's just a few. There was burnt offerings, grain offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, guilt offerings. And there were many different offerings. Now, why were there many different offerings in the Old Testament? Well, simply God required these sacrificial offerings as a redemptive restoration between humanity and God. There was sin committed against God, and Jesus had not hit the scene yet, had he? He's not even born yet, not even anywhere near. But what's happening is God set up this system where sin had to be atoned for. And so there were many offerings uh, that, that God had set up. Now, These offerings provided this atonement for the sin of man, and it also provided forgiveness and gave man to be in right standing with God. And that was important uh, because God is sinless. He can't be around sin. There's no sin in heaven, is there? Don't tell me one of your relatives is up there and they were sinners. (laughs) But no, there's no sin in heaven. God is separate from sin. And so God established this covenant and these rules in the Old Testament. Now, the first sacrificial offering in the Bible that you remember was in Genesis chapter 3. Do you remember? It was the fall of Adam and Eve. So if you've been traveling in Genesis with me this whole time, Adam and Eve sinned. They ate the fruit, correct? And so what did God do? They found themselves naked. They were naked the whole time. They didn't know it. But the minute they tasted the forbidden fruit, they knew that they were naked. What did God do? He he gave this an example. A life had to die so that the skin would be used 
to cover their sin, their nakedness. And that is the first example of what God's gonna talk about in the book of Leviticus. And that's where you can find these, these offerings. In if you wanna take a note, it's in the book of Leviticus, chapters one through four. And you can kind of read in detail if you wanna dig a little deeper into that. But I wanna talk to you specifically about this burnt offering, because this is the offering that God is, is telling Abraham that he is requiring of him and his son. And, and uh, burnt offerings, understand, were were voluntary at times. This is a kind of offering that signifies forgiveness of sin or complete surrender to the Lord or an act of devotion to God. But it also signified that, that one would have a, a total commitment to God by, by having a burnt offering unto the Lord. Now, the interesting thing is, is that these burnt offerings, you'll see this in the Leviticus, it was always by an animal, and it was always by a male animal. You, you see the correlation between his son and being a male. So it was always a, a male animal, not a female animal. And um, some of these uh, animals were, you would, it'd be a, could be a bull, could be a goat, could be a lamb, it could be a dove, it could be a ram. It basically depended on how wealthy the person was that was gonna give up that offering, right? So like all us poor folks that like to eat at Popeye's on buy one, get one free, we'd bring a dove to the offering, right? And then you fat cats that are you know wealthy and you own all this property and have a beautiful house, you're bringing that bull, right? And so it just depended. He, he provided a way uh, for people that were rich or poor that they could, they could have that atonement and that it was, it, it was a sacrifice for sure. I mean, a dove's a dove, a bull's a bull. But there was a, 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 a form of giving up something and, and so that's kind of what it was there. Now, <laughs> in this situation, God has said, Abraham, your son Isaac, your male, your son, will be sacrificed. Look at verse three. So what does Abraham do? Early the next morning, Abraham got up and he loaded his donkey and he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. And when he had cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out the place God had told him about. The first thing that I want to point out about this verse three is the fact that we see Abraham's immediate obedience. Immediate obedience. What's it say? The next morning. All right, God. Right? You notice when God called him earlier on in chapter or verse one or two, he said, uh, Abraham, right here, God. He was, he was ready, he was willing, and we see by his actions that his obedience is immediate. Isn't that a good point to take away tonight? When God speaks something to us and he wants us to do something in our life, do you think he wants us to hem haw around and, well, I'll get back with you, God. No, when God speaks something to us and we know it's from him and it's falling into obedience to what he's saying, you know, that's a good line for us to say, okay, God, yes. All right, God, you know, do we say that often? Or do, do we kind of negotiate with God? Well, if you do this over here, then I might be interested in something over here. Anybody like that? Nobody? Wow, we'll just shut down Wednesday night. Y'all, you arrived. Nothing to learn. See you on the weekend. 
No, we all get that way sometimes, don't we? It's not obedient. We question it. Maybe it's something that he wants us to do and we don't even like it. We're like, really? That might not be God. Let me go talk to some Christian friends over here. And we know what friends to talk to. They go, oh, no, no way. That's not what that scripture says, right? Be careful. You want to have friends that go, uh, yeah. Yeah, God, want, I feel, I see that in your life. God wants to move in your life in that way. Uh, those are the friends you want. You don't want yes friends. If you want yes friends, careful. You want no wake up friends. Those are the ones that will keep you protected from time to time. But we see this immediate obedience. And um, again, I, I just have to put myself in Abraham's shoes. He's, you know, the next morning, think about it. You think you got a good night's sleep? No, he's in fear, he's in agony, he's, he's in turmoil. But we see that Abraham chose to what? He chose through obedience immediately to walk by faith, not by his feelings. Let me say that again. He chose to walk by faith, not his feelings. Church, we shouldn't walk by our feelings. I'm an emotional guy. Anybody be around me? Anybody been around me enough? Yeah. I'm emotional. It's okay. It's not an insult. How many of you are emotional in here? It's like you wear your heart on your, all right, you're my people. You wear your heart on your sleeve. Some of you are more reserved. I wish I could be more reserved. I, I could work at it. But I have a tendency to to let my feelings sometimes determine the narrative of what's going on in my life. And I admit that. That's why I need this word. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. That's why I need my wife, my Christian friends, my, the men that know me and go, hey, what are you doing? Chill out, right? But do you, are you led by your feelings sometimes? And that's, that's, like, that's like walking. I know a lot of us are from up north and, you know, by the way, it's, it's fall. Where's your plaid? There's plaid. Anybody else? It, it's just, my neighbor has a pumpkin on their door. It's fall. <laughs> Anyhow, you have my permission to wear plaid on Wednesday night from now on, okay? It's fall. Anyhow, where was I? Oh, my gosh. I told you I'd keep you awake. Um, I don't even know where I was. Walk by faith, not by feelings, yeah. Emotional, yeah. So, so the thing is, um, even pastor in the church in my earlier years, I, I, I made some really foolish decisions because of my feelings. I was either upset or I was angry or, or I was scared. And I, I, think, I think that we all can, can you know, kind of be careful with that. Um, we're experiencing uh, emails right now, the pastor staff and, you know, and, and some comments on, you know, some other campuses, Facebook, you know, and, and, you know, what we see is we see, you know, we're dealing with feelings, you know, to be honest, and we're dealing with, you know, some raw feelings, you know, maybe some hurt, maybe some confusion, maybe not understanding, right? And so th there's nothing else to learn when you're on the other f end of that phone call 
or you're, you're standing in front of that person and you're hearing them raw, like their feelings are like coming off their sleeves onto you. And I'm learning that it's okay. Like, you know, let them talk. Let them talk. Let them, let them download on you, right? Hear where they're coming from. And, and I think that's really important. But then to stay in your feelings is not healthy, is it? And so uh, this is what's happening here. Abraham probably never stops feeling this way until we get you to like chapter or verse 19 or 17 when God starts revealing. So you can imagine that Abraham is now experiencing all this. So be careful that we, that we don't walk in our feelings, but that we walk in our faith and what we know about God and what we know about this situation. Um, look at verse four. On the third day, Abraham looked up because now they're on their journey, they left. But on the third day, um, Abraham looked up and he saw the place in the distance and he said to his servants, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy, meaning Isaac, uh, go over there and we will worship and then, hold on, we will come back to you. Did anybody pick up that nugget? He's literally getting ready. He's parked the donkey in the parking spot. He tells the attendant to stay there, put quarters in the meter. We're going to go up to the mountain where God told us to go, and we're going to be back. We, me and my son, are going to be back. Wait a minute. Didn't God tell him that you were going to go and sacrifice your son? See, by faith, even through his feelings, he's communicating to people around him, we We'll be back. Why? Because I believe that God, that, that Abraham knew that God was going to come through for him even in this test. And he's proclaiming this even in his communication to those around him. Church, that's important. When you're going through a tough time and you're in your feelings, it's, it's, it's important that even if you have a tiny mustard seed of faith, that you let people know around you that you have faith. It's okay to say, hey, I'm, wob- I'm wobbling here in my test. This is difficult. And I don't feel like I have faith. But I know a big God. And this is what Abraham is saying to the servant. saying, I know a big God. I don't know how he's going to get me out of this, but we're both going to come back. And... Um, Look at verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burning offering and placed it on his son. You might want to underline that. I'm going to bring you back to that. Placed it on his son, Isaac. And he himself carried the fire and a knife. And as the two of them went on together, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, father, The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where is the lamb? Where's the burnt offering? I want to speak to the men in the room tonight for a moment. How many of you men are fathers? Raise your hand, keep them up. How many of you men have a son? Keep them up. If you have a son, keep your hand up. Okay, put them down. You have a son in your life. 
We know you love him. Can you imagine what's going on in the Father's mind right now, men? You love God, and you love your son. And your son's looking at you and going, Dad, how's this going to go down? Imagine that crossroad you're at, men. Now, ladies, I want to speak to you for a minute. You're just having a hard time with this text, aren't you? <laughs> like a loving God who gave that woman that promise that she so wanted so badly, and now God's going to take it away from her. And I know you are mamas. Don't mess with mamas. Mama bears, right? Yeah. And you're struggling with this text. You know, when I first read this text, the first time I came across this story, do you know what I pictured in my mind? I pictured Isaac being this little boy. I don't know why. Anybody with me? Did you think he was like a young, like maybe eight, six, seven, eight? Yeah, following his daddy around like little boys do. And I pictured this little boy, but what brought a little bit of comfort to me as I started reading and studying for the, tonight for this passage, I was looking at what the different scholars say, and, and the majority of the scholars, they can't agree on an age, but he literally was between 22 years old and 37 when he started mapping out things and looking at all kinds of things that I don't have time to look at. Now, I don't know if that's true, but they're scholars, so they throw it under that title. That kind of brings a little bit more comfort to me that it's not this little boy who doesn't understand what's going on. No, it's, a, it's, it's now a man, right dads? It's a man who's been raised to follow God in a godly home and he understands his dad's going through a trial. Now ladies, be honest, that still don't bring you comfort, does it? <laughs> I didn't think so, I tried. <laughs> and so here we are. And we have son and dad looking at each other. And he asks a good question, doesn't he? You know, maybe his son thought he was going on a hunting trip with his dad. Maybe he thought he was going on an excursion trail hike with his dad. But all of a sudden, he looks at his dad and he goes, hey, we have everything but, but the, the offering. God was doing something right here at this moment in Abraham, I believe. Because if you're a father, and, and men, we take on a lot of responsibility for our family. Maybe it's a loss of a job. Maybe it's how are we going to put food on the table for the kids. Um, God holds man in great account to be a provider, a protector, and a provision, a provisioner for your family. And I know that I'm speaking to men tonight because your heart goes out to Abraham. I know it does. My heart went out to Abraham. So what is God doing here? Why this story? Why this difficulty? Why this concept that really you go to jail today, you know? But why this concept? Why was, what was God doing here? You know, here's what I really believe, and most of you that are traveling through this Genesis with me, all throughout Abraham's life, we see him love God, don't we? He loves God. And God called him a righteous man. And yet we've seen 
Abraham's faith waver greatly from time to time. We see him make mistakes. We see him make messes out of his life. And we see the grace of God restore him and forgive him and yet hold to all of his promises. And I believe that God is now testing Abraham and it's going to be a test of Abraham's faith that's going to challenge him and it'll change him forever. There's a great verse in Psalms that David wrote and he confesses to the Lord. I'll read it to you. Psalm 26 verse 2. David said to the Lord, examine me, O Lord, and try me. Test my mind and test my heart. And that's exactly what God was doing with Abraham. It was the greatest test, the biggest test test of his faith. Now let's see how Abraham answers his son's question. Look at verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will provide a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And the two of them went on together. You want to underline that. That, that is a prophetic statement in the Old Testament about the New Testament. God himself will provide a lamb. You know, I think that's the greatest answer that any father could give his son when asked that question. And it shows his faith. It does two things. It shows his faith to his son. He's like, I'm not caving here. I'm going to trust God. But also, I think that answer protects his son from fear, doesn't it? God will provide that lamb. Could be literally, right? But I think Abraham was more, I'm protecting my son and shielding him from the test that we really are going through. Verse 9, when they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it, and he did what? He bound his son Isaac, and he laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then he reached out his hand, and he took the knife to slay his own son. You know, a burnt offering is not a burnt offering unless you slaughter the animal. And so Abraham is at the point where he takes his knife out. I can imagine it's up in the air. Guys, I'm talking to you. Love God, love my son. Can you imagine what's going through your mind? God, can we do both? Is there another way? This is a place that we find them. You know what's interesting right here, right at this moment as we stop and pause and and ponder on this? The son is willingly letting a hundred, by this time, he's a 122-year-old man. That son is 22 to 33 years old. Who has 22 to 33-year-old sons? Raise your hand. They'll They'll kick your butt, I promise you. He's 122 years old. And his son of a young age has willingly let his dad tie him to that altar. If he wanted to get out of it, he could, guys. He'd go, I'm out of here. You're insane. You're practicing a pagan religion, right? But he loved his dad. There was love on both sides of this fence here, folks. He loved his dad, and his dad loved God. And so he was willing to be bound 
on top of the wood. Church, there's a whole lot more to this story than you think, and that's where I'm going to take you. It's going to be exciting. One of the most exciting things that I take from the Bible is that all God's word fits together. Let me say it again. All of God's word fits together. What excites me the most is that the Bible is very prophetic. There are prophetic passages of what's going to come all throughout the scripture of the Bible. This story is one of the most prophetic stories of the coming and the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. There's hidden prophecy in this story, and it's given. And I want to point out three key prophecies that point to the crucifixion of Jesus Christ that is yet to come. The first prophetic point, if you're writing it down, the very place Moriah, this mountain Moriah, that Abraham is about to sacrifice Isaac is the same approximate location that 2,000 years later, we're going to see another father allow his son to be sacrificed. Stay with me for a minute here. 700 meters from this very location that is described in in the scriptures is the spot where King Solomon built the first Jewish temple. Look at 2 Chronicles 3.1 on the screen. Now Solomon began to build the house of the Lord at Jerusalem on what? Mount Moriah. The first temple is where the Lord had appeared to his father David and said, this is where you're going to build my temple. And so this is a location where this temple was built. Now here's a picture of what this area could look like when Solomon built the temple. You see these mountains here? These are kind of mountains formations. And if you study it, there's three mountainous formations. You can see the base. See where it says David City? The base of that mountain was a mountain. And there were three mountains And as he was coming in from Beersheba, he was coming up from this way, and he saw three of these mountains. But I want you to see that middle one. That's the Temple Mount. That is where the temple was built, was right there. I want you to pay attention to what's just 700 meters from there. It's a place called Golgotha, or the Hill of Calvary, or the Skull. That is where Jesus was crucified. There's an overhead picture of what the Holy Land looks like today. I want you to see it up on the screen. This is what it looks like today. You see that? That's the new temple. That's the temple that exists today. And that is the temple that I've been to. Over here is Golgotha. Same location. I want you to remember that, church, because it's going to come alive in a minute. That's where the new temple is located. Golgotha was the highest area of that area, the highest mountain of that area. And Golgotha, Mount Calvary, is the same place that Jesus, the Son of God, was offered as a sacrifice on that cross. Look at verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham. Here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not 
withheld from me your son, your only son, he said. And so we see here, church, that God acknowledges the son that he promised Abraham, not the son that Abraham provided for himself. And we see here that Abraham stayed faithful all the way to the last form of obedience. He was faithful to that last moment. He was faithful to that midnight hour. Church, have you experienced a midnight hour in your trial? Have you experienced the midnight hour in your test where God supernaturally came through for you at the last moment? I hope you have experienced that because that is a God who orchestrates your test. He allows your test. He allowed the test of Job. He allowed many tests of great men of the Bible. But the midnight hour, the midnight hour, God comes through. Someone here needed to hear that tonight. God will come through. Maybe not the way you want it, but he will come through the way he wanted it. The hard part is understanding his will versus our will. And in this moment, God's will and Abraham's will lined up. That's a party. That's a celebration coming because it was a win-win. God finally knew that Abraham would trust him and feared him as Lord and Savior. And he also got to keep his son. But look at verse 13. Abraham looked up and there in the thicket he saw a what? He saw the ram caught by its horns and he went over and took the ram and he sacrificed it. He sacrificed it and as a burnt offering instead of his son. Here's prophetic Nugget number two in this story, it references to Jesus. Instead of Isaac being sacrificed, God provided a ram in his place. Do you remember when John the Baptist, the forerunner of Jesus, was running around baptizing people before Jesus hit the scene? Yes, no? You with me? Okay. It's not when I mean Jesus hit the scene like he was born in a manger. Not that hit the scene. I'm talking hit the scene when he was 30, you know, 33 years old-ish and, and he's getting ready to do his ministry. And John, the forerunner, his cousin, is baptizing people. You remember when he was on the shoreline and he was baptizing people? What did he say? Look, the Lamb of God has now come. How Abraham answered Isaac was a prophetic truth. He told his son Isaac, God will provide the lamb. And I think that that is absolute prophecy that the forthcoming Jesus Christ would be that sacrificial lamb that God would provide for you and I here tonight. And God did provide that sacrifice for his son and God provided a lamb for you and I. And the lamb took away our sins. Jesus' death on the cross was an offering for us. And Jesus made atonement for our sins once and for all. The last prophetic nugget that I want to show you tonight, and I think this is super cool. 
But this is a picture of the coming Jesus as well. Go back to verse 6. Scroll your finger back up to verse 6. What does it say? It says, Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and he placed it on his son Isaac. You know what's interesting? He gave that wood for Isaac to carry. And Isaac carried that wood to the place where he would be the sacrifice, where he would be tied to the wood and offered up unto the Lord. In John chapter 19, verse 17, it tells us that carrying his own cross, Jesus went out to the place of where? Skull, Golgotha. Isaac carried the wood as a sacrifice. Jesus carried the wood that he would lay on for our sacrifice. Jesus was led to the cross carrying the wood to the hill of Calvary upon which he would receive the three nails, one through each hand and one for through his foot. Only when Jesus was on the cross, there was not a ram provided. There was no way out. In church, we're sitting here today saved and freed from our past because God's will was that his son would be a sacrifice once and for all. No ram. How many of you are glad you didn't have a ram come into the picture for Jesus? Amen. Amen. Look at verse 14, we'll close it up. So Abraham called the place the Lord will provide. What an appropriate name. And to this day it is said on that mountain the Lord will be provided. Verse 15, the angel of the Lord called to Abraham from heaven a second time and he said, and said, I swear by myself, declares the Lord, that because you have done this, and you have not withheld your son, your only son. I will surely bless you and make you descendants and numerous to the stars and sky and the sands of the seashore. Your descendants will take possession of the cities of their enemies. And though your offspring and through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed because you have obeyed me. Verse 19, last verse. Then Abraham returned to his servants. Did he keep his promise? He kept his promise. It wasn't just him, was it? Nope. They both returned to the servants and set off together back to Beersheba. And Abraham stayed in Beersheba. As we close tonight, here's the takeaway that I want you to think about. Genesis chapter 22 is a story of a greater testing. It's a story of greater faith, but most of all, it's a story of greater love. Mount Moriah is a place where love was on display, not only once, church, but love was on display twice. It's a story of two fathers that loved so much that one was willing to offer up offer up his son and a father's who's offered his one and only son for the whole world. Genesis chapter 22 and John 3.16 
will forever come together under the umbrella of the greatest love. Don't you agree? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you tonight for just such great faith that we saw in Abraham. Lord, there's so many things that give us reference that you are a God of details. You are a God that 2,000 years ago and way before you aligned this supernatural prophecy way ahead of time. You knew all along that your son would come here, that we as sinners could have a savior and that your son's sacrifice would set us free indeed. We thank you for your love. For all the mothers and fathers and those who want to be mothers and fathers, may it be maybe just a time that we love our children and that we pray for them. And Lord, if there's miracles that need to be done in our lives as we've lifted our hands to you, Lord, we thank you that you do give us stories of real miracles in the life of Abraham. Thank you that we don't have to be perfect. We can make messes, we can make mistakes, and yet you're still there guiding us through the trials and the testings. We thank you tonight for your presence. We pray for the church, the elders, the other pastors. We pray for this campus. We thank you for all that you're doing. We thank you for the people that call this their home. We pray that we would do life together. We pray that when we face testings that we would let others know that we could come alongside and, and pray and intercede and together our faith would be increased. Lord, thank you for your word most of all tonight that's given to us. We pray for prayer culture coming up. We pray that many of us, maybe when we hear, we hear the word prayer, maybe we shy away, maybe we even say, ah, I might not come. Lord, I pray that hearts would change. I pray that as we come in in the morning and we're not awake and, and we get to see people, <laughs> see each other in a different way, different light, but that we would come together and that we would, we would spend that week with you every morning one hour, and that we would come and that we would be changed through prayer, through worship, and through the incredible devotions that the pastors will bring on these mornings. Lord, as we leave this place, help us to have open hearts. Help us to reach people in our lives maybe even people we don't know, people that you put us in front of, Lord. Give us sensitivity. The world is, is changing. People are scared. We have the good news. We have the peace. Most of all, Lord, go before us. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Sebastian podcast channel. If this message impacted your life, we encourage you to share it with a friend. We're located at 1251 Sebastian Boulevard, just northeast of intersection 90th Avenue and State Road 512 in Sebastian, Florida. 
Our service times are Saturday evening at 6 p.m., Sunday morning at 1045 a.m., and Wednesdays at 630 p.m.